All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 60. Whew, we made it. On the DFO Rundown, I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli, coming to you live once again from the woodjerseys.com studio. Frank has the uh, Toronto one that you'll see right in front of him. I've got the Boston jersey. We're going to actually have some new ones coming up very soon because uh, they are now, uh, you got the Seattle one we know. Uh, they've just got an Edmonton one made and they've got many others coming. They're going to have uh, all. 32 teams, uh, likely right by the start of the season. They got a brand new manufacturing plant. It's going to be awesome. So it's a great gift for yourself, for someone else. If you're a hockey fan, it looks awesome in the fan cave. So check it out, woodjerseys.com. And uh, Frank, just so everybody knows, uh, we're recording this before the long weekend. Right. Uh, comes out. It's Monday that you're watching this now, but we recorded before the long weekend in case uh, anything big breaks. Uh, we don't know the result yet of the uh, Cockney Emmy offer sheet, so we won't know the answer. So we'll talk about that in the next episode when it's live. But what we do know, Frank, is that the NHL and the NHLPA, and you alluded to this uh, a little bit uh, in your daily face off article a while ago, but now it's come out even more in in depth about just how serious they are. And if you're an unvaccinated NHL player, you, you know, your limitations of where you can go on the road and, you know, what will happen if, if you get sick and you're going to essentially lose pay and if you can't cross the border based on state or provincial reasons, you're, you're, you're just going to lose your paycheck or not your pay. You're going to lose the days on the roster. It's a pretty significant decision here by the NHL and the NHLPA. 
Yeah, it's it's the easiest way to explain it, Jason, is vaccinated players and unvaccinated players are going to be treated very differently. And it's not just the pay. It's not just the travel. It's also the daily cadence of your, your NHL life. Unvaccinated players are going to be tested every single day. Uh, when they're on the road, if they can actually travel due to state and, and border restrictions, they're not basically allowed to leave their hotel room. They're not allowed to have any um, any visitors in their room. They're not allowed to go out for dinner. They're not even allowed to go pick up dinner in a place that's uh, in indoor setting. So um, it's very stringent. And this is a big step from the NHL and the NHLPA to set a path moving forward. And I can tell you in conversation with a couple GMs just in the hours since these protocols first came out and were posted, I talked to one GM who has his team one fully 100% vaccinated. And he's saying, I've got a leg up this season. How good is that? I'm excited that, you know, there's going to be other teams out there that have a couple players and, and we don't know what the numbers are yet. Uh, I'd imagine it's probably a generally small percentage, but there's probably going to be one, two players on some teams, maybe more uh, that have decided to not get vaccinated their choice. And they're going to have to be prepared to live with the consequences. And the pay is significant. For those of you who don't know, the NHL season is typically broken down into 186 days. And so you take, you know, whatever it is that you make three million, seven million, and you divide it by 186. And for every day that you cannot play, because you're unvaccinated and you either can't travel or you're subject to some other protocol or issue that's keeping you out, you're losing that full day of pay. So that can really start to add up in a hurry and can really put a dent in your wallet. So there's a financial incentive to get vaccinated. Um, and, and so this is sort of where the NHL is drawing the line saying, we're not forcing you to get vaccinated, but essentially we are if you wanna have a better quality and uh, convenience in your season. Well, here's, because uh, I looked the number up earlier. So I just used 5 million, it's a round number. So let's say you're a $5 million player. Every day that that doesn't, that you can't play, or because if you're on a five game road trip, let's say, across to, to three games, whatever it is, and that's over the span of six days, it's $27,027 per day that you're losing. Well, that, that adds up pretty quickly. All of a sudden, you know, you're six days, five days, now you're up over 160 grand. Right. Isn't and it amazing to just like, it still blows my mind. And I do these calculations all the time because the cap is broken down by day mm-hmm. that someone makes 27 grand a day. Like it's like, yeah. like, you know, it is crazy for them and, you know, and good for them. But I think, you know, this, and, and I think it's smart by the NHL and the NHLPA to announce this so early in September. So any players who were sitting on the fence, all of a sudden they see it and they're like, Oh, there's going to be some severe consequences to my decision here. You know what? I'm going to go get the first shot now. Then I can wait another three weeks or a month and get the other shot before the, the beginning of the season. And away I go. So now there are, we, we should and point out. Wait, it also affects the team because yes. any day that you can't play, your team is worse off. So yes. uh, that's the other sort of unspoken part of it as well, that your teammates and your staff are counting on you. Oh, Hundred percent. Now we should point out that there are some exceptions, right? If somebody has a, a legit medical reason or uh, religious reasons, now they would have to prove that as to uh, to why they can't take it. Those players will be exempt from from the fines, but they won't be exempt from the the rules, Frank, as far as staying in your room on the road. And I think that's that's a big one because you know I talked to so many players last year. The biggest challenge they felt was 
it was tough at times to have a real lack of cohesiveness. When you when you grow up in the hockey, you know, from the age of 10 or 12, being in the dressing room is like some of the best times. Right? It's why most most men and women play uh, men's league or, or adult league now is to hang out in the room. The hockey is secondary because just that camaraderie is so fun. Well, now you're on the road and you've got, you know, eight of your good teammates that are going out for dinner here and another six are there. And you're like, oh, hey guys, can you bring me some back? Like that's not going to go over very well. And I think some players it's going to really negatively impact them. And I think maybe one road trip or, or one night like that or two, and all of a sudden it might change their thinking. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I to doubt see. it. See, no? I, see I, I don't think that's the case. I would think that someone that is that steadfast in their belief to this point, you know, the vaccine having been available for so long and they've held out to this point, they're probably going to continue to hold back, hold off. I mean, look at, um, you know, Carson Wentz, the quarterback from the Indianapolis Colts, just this week uh, had to miss time due to the COVID protocol. And he's unvaccinated. And he, he came out again today, even with the same sort of idea that uh, the NHL has now put on paper, the NFL has had already. And he's still saying, look, I'm not doing it. It's my choice. And I, I'm just not getting vaccinated. And so, um, you know, that's the choice that some of these guys are going to make and they're going to have to live with it. But, you know, there's going to be more than a handful over 700 players uh, that don't get vaccinated. And so just be prepared to, to hear that and know that. And, and um, you know, just wanted to point out too, just from the protocol perspective, uh, and we have been talking about this behind the scenes from a media perspective, since some people are curious, uh, locker rooms, the plan at this moment is to open locker rooms to media, uh, media that are fully vaccinated and wearing a mask. So a uh, little bit of a back to normal, we had, uh, your nephew on uh, last week or two weeks ago to talk about uh, it was our first in-person NHL player interview in almost two calendar years. Crazy to think for, for hockey media that we haven't had the ability to do that. But I think all of us are looking forward to getting back in and, and telling some really good stories. Yeah. It's, I think it benefits everybody overall. Uh, I know some of the players will joke. Some really like it. Others, and that's fine. Some players just aren't going to be, they don't, they don't like dealing with the media, and that's totally fine. I've never never held that against them. I, I kind of don't really bug those guys too much. If it's something they're not comfortable with, you're not going to get a great answer anyway. And I also talked to some who felt like, you know what, like it just, when, when it comes to stories of the game, you don't learn as much little tidbits of information. And fans, like, all you got to do is look at the F1 series, Frank, to understand fans have a thirst to know as much as they can about their favorite player right simple as simple as uh what's their favorite dish what's their favorite song today whatever it is that's what they want right there's a reason the pga now is going to go and do the same thing for their tour and i like when, when the nhl had you know the the road to the outdoor game i can't remember the name of the show i met my my wife who's not a big hockey fan she became a huge John Tortorella fan and she followed him. Like, she's like, Oh, Hey, where's he coaching this year? Simply because she liked his personality. He was kind of funny. He was a little gruff and angry at times. You know how torts can be. And then some days he's really like, I've always got along with John. Great. But it, I was just like, wow, these, these sports leagues, if they really want to grow their game, the diehard fans, they're watching come hell or high water. It doesn't matter. Their team can be terrible and they're still watching the majority of the time. But if you want to grow your fan base, you need to think off of the ice. And I think the NHL still struggles with that a little bit. And so get even getting now, back in, this in case. To telling some stories, uh, I think that's a benefit for the whole league because coming out of a pandemic, you, you, you'd you want to try to reel back in some of the people that maybe lost interest. And look, I, I think from a media perspective, like the last thing 
a sports fan wants to hear as a sports writer complaining. And I think we've done a, you know, a, a decent job of keeping that, you know, sort of closed, uh, close to the vest in terms of, you know, our inability to really get in and do our job knowing that the pandemic has been here, but it's really, I got to tell you, like, um, it's been really difficult for a lot of media members to really, you know, dig in and do the job, um, you know, given the environment and what's been going on, everything's on a Zoom call. That's the only way you're communicating with people. There's no banter. There's no back and forth. There's no getting, if you're new, there's no getting to know someone in your locker room. And so that chance, and, and I got to tell you the other part too, just from a media perspective, can't tell you how many players that mentioned to me in conversation over the last year and change that they felt like they were playing in the minors again because they're so used to game being over, get your skates off, you know, get your equipment off. And all of a sudden the media are popping in to do this or that. They said it, it felt like, you know, being in the minors somewhere in some small town where there's no one there, no one asking questions, no one around. And then you're being sort of shuttled to this zoom room to do a sterile interview it just hasn't been the same for anyone. And so uh, I can't wait to get back in there. Yeah. Also, very few fans in the building for the most part. That that was brutal for, for yeah, everybody, part, yeah. for the fans specifically. And that's it's going to be one thing you see a lot of teams uh, having their protocols for fans to be vaccinated or uh, proof of negative. So I, I think it's uh, it's something that will benefit the league to have the fans back in, no question. I, I think the first few games this season, I know there were some buildings that had fans late last year, but not many. And I think uh, the players, the, the first month of this season, I think we're going to see a lot of juice on the ice just because they'll be fired up to be back in front of full crowds. And I would expect the fans to be pretty loud. So very much look forward to that. Uh, let's bring in producer Ty for buy or sell. Yes, buy or sell is brought to you by Roasty Coffee and Roasty.ca. Whether you want it wholesale, whether you want it shipped to you, Roasty Coffee can handle all of that. And it is fantastic. Usually I have my mug but it's dirty because I was drinking coffee out of it this morning. Um, let's get into your five buy or sell questions, kicking things off. We will not see another offer sheet this off season. Frank, you buying or selling? Buying. I think we usually get, uh, I don't know, one every three, four years. And uh, this Kotkini Emmy one sort of came out of the blue. I know the, the, the Carolina Hurricanes had tried for a little while to trade for him unsuccessfully. And so they took this path and, and uh, I love the savagery and the revenge that came with all the little <laughs> details in the offer sheet. Um, but I think it was also another reminder, unfortunately with the revenge factor, why we don't see them that often. I will say this about that offer sheet. I liked it because it's one that it forces Montreal to make a really tough decision because if they match now that they, they can't trade him for a year and they automatically then either they can agree to sign a newer contract or they got to qualify him at 6.1 mil. That is, that's a big risk. Otherwise he walks and then they end up getting nothing and they just paid him for six. So I will say this because when Montreal offered Ajo, I thought that was a, that was like a favor to Carolina. Carolina's like, oh yeah, sure. We'll sign our best player to this contract because no one even thinks it's a bad contract. So I like that this was a one where to me, the whole point of an offer sheet is that it wins and you get the player. So I think they had a good chance to do it, but uh, I will, I will buy there. There's not going to be another offer sheet. I don't see, uh, you know, there's some good players like mm -hmm. Kaprizov and Hughes and Kachuk and all these guys, but I just don't see another team doing it right now. Last week, we got the Joel Farabee contract in Philadelphia. And I think I know what one of your takes is going to be on this one. I'm going to go ahead and say $5 million a year for a guy who's barely played 100 games in the NHL is an overpay. Jason, you buying or selling? 
It's a good question, man. Um, oh, here's the thing. I didn't get to see <laughs> Farabee a lot last year. Um, talking to scouts, they really like him. So five mil, it's a risk for sure. But I think it's a risk that comes with some reward because if he becomes as productive as if he just continues to produce that, that's pretty good production for five mil. So I'll say it's a low risk. I'm going to sell and I'm going to say it's no risk. Ooh. Joel Farabee is a player, uh, 20 goals in 55 games last year. I'm just doing the math. He led the team, by the way. So 20 goals in 55 games is a what, like 27 or 20 30 goal pace, 29.8 nope. goals over an 82 game season. I say Joel Farabee hits 30 goals and gets 70 points this year. Whew. And Whoa. I think, and he plays in all situations. And I think that that becomes a bargain in a long line of bargains for the flyers that they've had with some of their young players coming off of entry level. Think of the deal that Sean Couturier is wrapping up in the next year. Think of the deal that Wayne Simmons played on repeatedly scoring 28, 29 in that 30 goal range. Joel Farabee is going to be right there and it does get the players some security. He gets to be a UFA at age 28. All those things are great, but I think that this is ultimately going to end up uh, looking really good for Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers. We got to have it. We might have to have a wager on that 3070. I got to take that one for fun. I'll get a little action on that. Okay. What kind of odds do I get on that though? Oh, do you make, you made the statement. There's no odds. Ooh. Well, we'll think about that. We'll talk about it. Ty, Ty's, the, well, Ty's yeah. the odds guy. We'll think about that for a future pod before the season starts. Maybe we'll, we'll have to get points of that involved in that. We'll see. Yeah, yeah maybe. I like it. Maybe. I like uh, it. Speaking of odds, the three leaders on the odds board to win the Norris Trophy next year are up, and they are Kale McCarr, Fox, and Hedman. I'm going to go ahead and say we get a stunner of a Norris next year, and neither of those three capture the Norris Trophy. Frank, leader of the Joel Farabee fan club, buying or selling on none of Makar, Fox, or Hedman winning the Norris. By the way, I want to just point out, uh, you could probably find the clip somewhere, but I did say Joel Farabee was going to make the Flyers before anyone thought that he had a chance to make the Flyers. Oh, so wow. I've been, yes, uh, president of the Joel Farabee <laughs> fan club for a while. Um, and to continue on that, you know, I think Hedman's going to win it. I think He's so good. And now that he's gotten a chance, you know, obviously playing late again, another deep run to the final. Don't know. Uh, you know, he had a little work done on his knee. If he's fully healthy, I think he's the best defenseman in the game, hands down. It's just that last year he wasn't healthy and, and wasn't really close. And I think he would tell you that it wasn't his best season, but still got a ton of votes anyway. Uh, I think I think Victor Hedman is the guy that wins the Nars. Uh, before we get to Jason, the next three on the odds board, by the way, all at 12 to 1, according to Bodog, are Charlie McAvoy, Dougie Hamilton, and Quinn Hughes. So, Jason, you buying or selling on McCarr, Fox, and Hedman missing on the Nars? Uh, I am selling because I think I think Kale McCarr is going to win, and if it's not him, I would go with Frank. I think it's Hedman. I, I, Kale McCarr is – people love him. That's the other thing. Like, he's such an exciting player, and um, best defenseman doesn't necessarily mean they have the best year, right? Because I agree with Frank. I think yeah. Hedman's the best overall D-man in the league. So, But I think out of those two, one of them is winning this year. So I was looking back through last year's scoring leaders, and it led me to looking into the year before that as well and the scoring leaders. And last year, based on my kind of rough math, we likely would have had three 50-goal scorers if it was a full 82-game season. Year before that, 
likely would have had three as well. So I'm going to set the over under at three and a half. And instead of buy or sell, it will be over or under uh, over or under three and a half, 50 goal scores next year, Jason. Oh, I'll go under. Um, I, I think it was what 2012, maybe the last time we had three, that's like a 10 years ago. Like you think about it um, since 2013, the only guys to score 50 is Ovechkin and Leon Dreisaitl. That's it. So um, I don't see I don't see th- more than three guys doing it. I'm taking under. I'm gonna take the over. I think we end up with four. Ooh. I'm gonna say Matthews. Yeah. Ovechkin. Be great. McDavid. Debrinkat would have. or Pasternak. Pasternak okay. is has been right there. Um, Rantanen was actually right there pace-wise last season uh, as well. And like I said there, when I cut you off, don't Frank. Get, don't uh, trigger Frank. We're not talking pace. <laughs> um, but Debrinkat was also on pace. I know we don't like pace, uh, but we will do a similar question here to wrap up buy or sell. Last year, again, on pace, we had about seven guys, I think, by my count, who would have hit the 100-point mark. And the year before that, we ended up with uh, with a similar number as well. I think about seven were on pace for it when the season was canceled. So um, I will say over under seven and a half, 100 point scores next year, Frank, what'd you take? I'm going to take the under. Okay. You know, and, and that's amazing saying that we had a guy in Connor McDavid who hit 105 in a 56 game yeah. season. Like it's still, still mind blowing number. Um, Dry Seto was obviously close. Uh, Matthews will probably be knocking on the door. I'd imagine McKinnon will be, um, I don't know, hundreds. It's, it's tough to get to, like, you gotta be awful consistent. I'm going to take the under, I think it's in the four to five range. I'm going to take the over 2019, the last full season. We had six guys with a hundred points in the national hockey league. And I think, I think offense is going to be offense is creeping up a little bit. And I actually think because the NHL is going to crack down on power plays or sorry, on penalties, there's going to be more power plays. Thus there'll be more guys scoring a hundred points. So I'll take over. And yeah, actually, you, I'm just you looking mentioned... at your six here though. So like who's, so you had six, I'm looking back at that season and then McKinnon was at 99 and Johnny Gaudreau was at 99 Stamkos 98 and Barkov 96. So a bunch of those guys, that's 10 right in that wheelhouse. My guess is Crosby probably doesn't get close to a hundred again. Uh, I don't think Johnny Gaudreau is at a hundred point level. Uh, you know, you could probably make the argument that Barkov is, is there, but does, does Marshan get to a hundred again? Uh, does Patrick Kane get 200? Like those are all, it's, it's interesting. Like it's a really good question. It's nice that I redeem myself after that joke of a Fairview one. Hey, Frank, you have totally <laughs> redeemed yourself. Uh, there we go. That is by yourself brought to you by roasty coffee. Check them out online. Roasty.ca. Hey, I love it, man. I, as everybody knows, I'm an offensive guy. I'd love to see 50 goal scores. That just seems you to are, be harder now offensive. more than ever. But uh, the 100 point season, man, I, I think there's going to be a clampdown on on power plays, which maybe why there will be a, the uh, the 50 goal guys. I'd love to see Ovechkin. He's, I kind of felt like he got robbed a few times to tie the all time record and have nine 50 goal campaigns. That would be great. And uh, Austin Matthews kind of be knocking on the door to get his first. He would have had his first if it wasn't for uh, COVID shutting down the 2020 season, but. You know, that's unfortunate. It's kind of how it goes, but the legit 50, I think if he stays healthy, he definitely is a 50 goal scorer. No question. We got a very special guest on the pod today. Let's get to our uh, big guest delivered by DoorDash. If you've never had it, 
What are you waiting for? You can get all sorts of your favorite foods delivered right to your door. And if you've never tried it, no better time to do it right now because you can use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. That's going to get you 25% off and no delivery charges. That is a sick deal. So check it out at DoorDash. Our next guest was one of the big headlines of the hockey world last week, joining the Cincinnati Cyclones as the first and only, I should say, only black head coach in North America this season in professional hockey. Jason Payne from the ECHL Cincinnati Cyclones joins the DFO Rundown. Jason, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm doing great. It's been a great, uh, great week so far, and I'm looking forward to what's what's ahead. Huge news um, for the sport and for you, of course, as well, and your family. Just take us through what this last week has been like uh, with the announcement and everything that's come since. Well, when I was told uh, that I was given the position, I, I mean, obviously it was a little bit of excitement from all the work that I've put uh, in, my, in my career for this. And then just knowing that what the possibilities lie ahead, first of all, you know, obviously for it being one of the only uh, coaches in North America, but, you know, just the... the with the work I put in and just to know what's ahead with the media press, the, uh, you know, people coming at you, wanting to uh, interviews. And so it's, it's, it's humbling. It's exciting. I enjoy it. And uh, I'm just very thankful for it. So talk to us about your road to this point. Uh, you know, I, every hockey guy you come across, you got to look at the hockey DP page or the elite prospects page. And I'm looking here, Jason, was there a league in North America that you didn't play in along the way or coach in or stop in in some way? Well, I had to take stops in a lot of them just to see if I liked it or not. And, uh, and if to see if they liked me. So, uh, you know, it was fun. It was a lot of it. It was a lot of adventures. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, just going bouncing from the United League to Colonial League uh, where I started. Um, the old IHL with the, where the Vipers and, uh, and Fort Wayne was in there at one time. Kalamazoo K-Wings. Uh, Las Vegas Thunder, that, that was a great league back then. Uh, to the East Coast League, I played a, a numerous amount of teams. Started, I was, I was in Dayton, I was in Florida, I was in Arkansas, Wheeling, Redding. Uh, it, you know, it was, I was all over New Orleans. So, you know, I, was, I traveled a lot there and into the American League, just bounced around, you know, St. John, Flames, uh, Worcester Ice Cats, uh, Cincinnati Mighty Ducks, you know, a call, call up to the Carolina Monarchs where, uh, I played with a good friend of yours, Kevin Weeks, who's a great friend of mine. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, it was a lot of adventures. You met a lot of people, but, you know, established a lot of trusting uh, and, and great relationships. So, Jason, when, when you bounce around and, and you play in a lot of different leagues for a lot of different teams, uh, I'm sure, you, you know, you, you had a lot of different coaches as well. Were, were you, I'm always intrigued by certain guys. Some players never think about coaching, while others, they plan for it kind of, five years before they're done playing they're taking notes certain coaches we've had on like they collected notebooks when they played of all the different systems because they thought that was something they wanted to do were you the guy with an eye on coaching at all times or is it something that just kind of fell in your lap you know once you were done playing i mean that's a good question but for me the style of hockey i played a lot of it was spent uh, on the bench <laughs> so you got to watch the game and understand it and listen to what the coaches are saying and and mind you, the game has changed so much since when I played, but, you know, I think the whole thing for me was the development. You know, you wanted to keep developing. And as the game got, you know, went on and progressed, you had to keep evolving with the game. You know, you couldn't be just the enforcer anymore. You couldn't be just that guy. You had to be able to, to play the game. You had to be able to do the things to keep you in the game. So 
you know, I had to continuously evolve my skills and continue to develop. So that became a, something that, that a passion to my, for me. And uh, when I got back uh, from playing hockey and I decided to, to shut it down, I said, you know what, let me, I opened my hockey school where I started training, uh, training young hockey players myself. And then I started getting into coaching as well too, because it was another way, another avenue of training players to be hockey players, but developing them the real way to play hockey and not just, you know, with those minor hockey ways that, you know, do it this way, do it that way. So then when they get to the next level of junior or is it pro they're lost because they don't understand the real concepts of how the game is played at the next level. So again, it was about that development uh, philosophy that really got me intrigued. And then I really wanted to keep giving back, giving back to the, to the young players uh, that were coming up. So it, it was, it was, it was definitely a journey and I, but I enjoyed it. You mentioned how the game has changed a lot since you played. It's extremely different, especially in the minors. Like back when you played in the minor pros, man, it was, you know, I'm not sure if you've, you've seen the documentary or not, but the crime and penalties, like it was it was crazy at times in different leagues of, of how many real tough guys there were and just, you know, so many guys literally fighting to try to make their way to the National Hockey League. Now it's it's very different. You know, there's, there's very limited fighting in the NHL and obviously it's got a trickle down effect. There's much less in the minor so coaching the game because you played that role there's still you know there's still tough guys and intimidation in the game but what what's your strength as a coach what have you learned jace because a lot of times some people say wow geez he didn't score a lot so he can't teach offense i don't really agree with that so how have you evolved and what have you learned as a coach that you feel you're better now as a coach than when you started regardless of the role you played well from when i played listen you talk about the crime punishment like like a lot of those guys are, are guys that I've went to war with and you know, we're, I'm familiar with a lot of them, but yes, the game has definitely changed. And for me, what I bring to the, what I like to bring to this game is you, you got to change it. It's about perseverance. It's about dedication commitment, but it's about getting to know the player. You have to be able to relate to the players of today's game. So it's not like back in the day where you can just tell somebody, go do this. And they're expected to understand what they're supposed to do. You know, you have to give them the whys. They need to know why. There's a process to everything, and they need to know why and what what the process is about. And it's about relating to the players. As you know, today's players are different. They're wired differently. They need to know things. You know, they're, they're the internet age where they can look at their phone or look at their iPad and get any answers they want. We want to understand the players so we can understand them as a person, get to know them as a person, then we can help understand them as a player and help develop them as a player. So that is what I like to bring. And I like, I work hard for my players. They want, I want them to work hard for me. You know, the same thing that like Rod Brindamore does. He's, he's out there, he's in the gym, he's training every morning with his players. He's getting on the ice, he's skating hard. That's what, that's how I am. You know, I'm in the gym. I tell my players, you want to work out? I'm working out too. See if you can lift more than me. We're on the ice. Okay. See if you can shoot harder than me. I'm skating up. Whatever you do, I'm not going to ask my players to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do. So I want them to go there and I want them to leave it on the ice and work as hard as they can. Because the harder they work for me, they'll, they'll know that I'm working tenfold even harder for them. I love that you see the passion that brings out, you know, from a guy like Rod Brindamore and his players as well. Wanted to ask you again about your path. It's been, what, 12 years since you hung up your skates? And again, taking a look at the, the Hockey DB page, you've had a, a few different uh, sort of, you know, roles and jobs, skills coach, assistant coach, skating coach, all sorts of different things, uh, junior leagues uh, throughout Ontario, OHL. And then you end up uh, in Cincinnati a couple years back with Matt Thomas. 
How did you get there? And, and what was it like along the way over these last 11 years, sort of scrapping and, and getting by with lots of different roles and opportunities? It's a, you said it, scrapping and getting by. It's, it's not an easy road. Uh, you know, when I was done playing, you, you, go, you get around, you got to establish relationships, you meet people, you work different roles, learn the game more. I went back to the grassroots to just get a, get a real idea and a handle of what today's players are like and teaching and developing them. And it builds you up. You go to different, you go to the OHL, you go to different junior roles. I was a GM, I was an assistant coach, I was a head coach, I was a scout, I was a skills coach. You do all the jobs. Because I think in this world of hockey, if you know all the jobs, I mean, not necessarily have to master them, but if you want to understand the real world of hockey, you got to know what every job pretty much requires and it entails. So if you do, then you're a little bit more educated when it comes time to speak to whoever it is, if it's GMs, players, parents, scouts, agents, you know, because you can talk to them in their language. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade in for the world and it's developed me and helped me push me to where I am today. And, you know, in regards to my job here, it was, it's funny how it happened, but Again, you know, I wanted to make it to the next level. I wanted to get, I was pushing and, and, you know, doors were closing on me. Doors were closing and you wonder why, you wonder what's happening. What am I doing wrong? We're going to keep pushing. And uh, Matt Thomas was is a, an old friend of mine from, we played hockey together growing up in AAA. And we then played together in uh, junior hockey a little bit with a very brief time with St. Mike's Buzzers. And he went on to RITs to college and I went on to play pro. And, but we've always stayed in touch. And then when he went into coaching and as I was coaching uh, in the junior level, you know, I would help you, him with recruiting and talking to people, anybody he was interested in to recruit to his school. So we always stayed in touch. And again, we're in the people business. It's a relationship. It's all about relationships. And, you know, he got his lucky break where, you know, he was able to get, uh, find a job now with Cincinnati. He needed somebody for his, in his eyes were qualified that would work hard and was dedicated and they, he called me and, you know, my opportunity uh, was presented to me and he had to run it through Buffalo Sabres and, you know, everything was approved. They were everything, they approved it. And, you know, we went from there. We went on that year to, um, I think we were, we were in the all-star game, uh, finished first place overall in the league. And we've, we've pretty much been coaching, coaching our butts off and trying to develop our players here. But, you know, now perseverance shows itself, you know, Matt's been doing it for 17 years. He's been in the NCAA. He's been, He's been in the ECHL. He's won coach of the year. He's won championships here and he's never gotten an opportunity. And now he's gotten that opportunity in the American league with uh, Providence Bruins with Ryan Mujanel, who's another friend of ours, who's an old teammate of mine as well too. And you know what it's, he's what it's well-deserved. And if there's anybody who's more deserving of it, it's him. And, you know, for him to give me my, my first shot here, you know, cutting my teeth at uh, coaching at the pro level, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful and thankful. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a whole, he, he tells me all the time, you, know, you didn't let me down. Cause I knew when you came in, you, that you would work and it's putting yourselves in the right position at the right time. And, and fortunate for me, you know, the cards and the chips fell as they may. And, and here I am today. So tell me about the, Jason, the, the environment there in Cincinnati, because as you're working your butt off, as you said, you know, you've got Kristen Ropp, the, the general manager there, who's the only female GM in uh, men's professional hockey. So do you feel like, you know, with the opportunities that, that you're getting there, it's just a fresh set of eyes, a different outlook approach, you know, someone may be willing to do things a little bit outside the box and different. Uh, and obviously she saw you and got a chance to work with you up close and personal. Oh yeah, Kristen Rob's amazing, and you know, for the record, she like I think she's a little, she's a trailblazer when it comes to that. 
Um, you know, there's more GMs that are, you know, coming around this in our league, uh, Kalamazoo K-Wings just uh, announced another fee, their female GM. So, you know, kudos to them. And, you know, it's, it's breaking, it's groundbreaking. And, and I love to see it. And it's, it's opening up the doors to, you know, the diversity of it. And for, for Kristen, it's not about, you know, men or women. It's, she just wants the best people. And for her to, for, to work for Kristen is unbelievable. I, I couldn't ask for anything more. Such a professional environment, such a great environment, such a welcome, warm environment, a family environment. And when you have that, it's welcoming. You have the players. They, they want to come to the arena. Players want to come here. They want to come play here. We want to come to the arena every day because it's, it's such a, a great environment to work in. So, you know, I'm so thankful for Kristen that, that she's the kind of person that she is. And, you know, overall, the whole organization, you know, our owner, Ray Harris, is, is one of the best owners in the league in, in, my, in my eyes. And I'm very thankful that, you know, they've given me the opportunity to, to coach this team. Jason, Frank alluded to it off the top. Uh, you know, being a black head coach right now in hockey and in pro hockey in North America is pretty rare. So, you know, congratulations for that. At the, at the same time, have you experienced, you know, is, is it a challenge at all? Because, you know, we know that racism is, is, has diminished from where it was. We, we made some progress. We're not remotely close to where we should be as a society. But do you, do you sense that at all? Is it a challenge in, in a still a predominantly white sport to be a black head coach it is definitely a challenge i mean there's no there's no ways around it but if i think for myself the, the way i view it is you've just got to be a great person the better person you are the more opportunity you give yourself for doors to open and let's break down those barriers and eventually when you're when you're that good a person no one wants to see color they just want to see how good you are and what and the work, body of work you can put in and so don't give anybody an opportunity or anything to have any negative to say about you or blemishes to your record. Just be a good person. Right? We're in a people business. Uh, you know, it's, it's a whole saying, you know, you got to get the person right before you get the player right. You got to get the person right before you can get the coach right. You know, when you get to know somebody, you get to know the personality, you can relate. Then, and, and, and that <laughs> only then can you really get to the person that you really want or the coach or player that you really want. When you coached and you've been coaching at lower levels, you've talked a lot about, you know, developing players. Uh, did you, you try to develop human beings at the same time? Is, is there a potential slight advantage for you? Because you can talk through, because, you know, as, as a white man, I haven't experienced things that black men experience. I just never have, right? I, I can be as empathetic as I want to it, but I've never had to walk in those shoes. Is there an advantage that, to, to teach maybe the, the human side of it more to your players to understand. So maybe they're just like, wow, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective because the experiences you had in your life are going to be different than mine and Frank's. Well, definitely. I mean, those are those difficult conversations that they talk about having, but it's all about your voice. It's how you relate to players, how you talk to them. You know, there's no woe is me. Listen, this is, this is what life is like. Yeah, it's great, but you know what? It's not great. Sometimes it's great. The others, but it's not like anything else in life that other people don't go through maybe in different ways. Mm -hmm. Persevere, push through it, be a good person, battle through it. And you know what, when people relate to you and they feel that and they feel the, the empathy for you and they feel for you because they relate to what you're going through only then can you break down those walls. Only then can you start to relate and people can start to understand. And, and, and that's all, you know, communication is key. And that's all I can really tell you. Communication is key. And just have to communicate, find a way to have those difficult conversations. But when you establish and build those relationships, those difficult communications become a lot easier. Well said. 
Um, you mentioned finding your voice. And I'm always curious as someone uh, that's now going to get a crack for the first time in pro hockey, having been an assistant, how different will your voice be as a head coach versus an assistant? There's no change. There's no change. You're, the only thing that's going to change is the, is the title. You want to be the same way. You're, you're going to relate to the players. They're going to work hard for you. They're, there's the problem with where, where people get the misconception is when they change roles, they got to change your attitude. You know, everyone's like, oh, you got to be the good cop, bad cop. Well, no, not really. Not really. Just be the honest cop. Be true. Be, tell the truth. Be genuine, you know, and relate to the players. Get them to work for you. I don't need to impress the players. And I don't need to, if they say it, play that role to the players, right? I got to intimidate them. I don't need to intimidate them. The, the body of work, my, my personality speaks for itself. And for that, the players will relate and the players will want to work for it. That's it. And, you know, that, and you keep it as simple as that. When you start to pull emotions differently into, into your roles, that if things have changed, that's when they say, oh, that person, he's changed. Oh, he's changed. That's not the same guy I knew before. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy, especially in today's game. It's not like back in the day where, like, when I played and they're telling you, Painter, get out there. Go do some work. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, all right. Like, go get him. Like, that's it. You know, no, we need to talk to the players. We need to understand the game has changed. Players have changed. Society has changed. You know, so as it's ever evolving, so must we. I was wondering how much, Jason, the NHL Coaches Association and their BIPOC program helped you. Um, I was reading in Emily Kaplan's story on ESPN.com, what she did a great job on. And I know you conversed with her as well, just about how that might have opened up some doors with you and some opportunities to make new connections. Like it's nice to, you know, I always say hockey's, you know, the world's smallest $5 billion industry. And, um, you know, it's just even funny. You just mentioning Matt Thomas and sort of his path. And like, I was like, Oh, well, I talked to Matt Thomas before when I was doing a story on some of the kids from Humboldt that he was recruiting when he was coaching in Alaska. And then he ends up in Cincinnati and then you're with him. And it's like everything, you know, spirals and we all kind of live in our own little world here. Um, and then the connection you mentioned off the top, and I got introduced to you earlier in the week with Weeksy. And it's nice to have your own little bubble, but it's also nice to, you know, get connected to, to meet new people. And I was wondering how much that helped you. Well, you listen, the, the BIPOC committee, NHL coaches association, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for what they do. You know, they put this, they put this organization together, the BIPOC uh, committee together. So it, it gives everyone a chance to meet and, and, and network. That's the important part for them because a lot of guys have trouble networking. And when you're able to put this together, you're able to meet and network with different coaches of color, different coaches of race, you know, whatever, female, it doesn't matter. But you put the platform out there so we're all able to connect, talk. And if you want to meet, uh, you know, change, exchange numbers, talk hockey, philosophies, but allows you the ability to do that. And then they extend it to the NHL coaches and the other American league coaches where they bring them in as guest coaches so that, you know, they can talk. So, because there's always been that disconnect where they haven't been able to, you know, like you said, again, have that voice where they were able to connect with the, with the coach at the higher level. So they're providing that opportunity to do that. And you know what, I think they're doing a great job with that. And I think it's going to be forever growing. So last one for me, um, Jay, Jason Gregor, before you hop back in, um, you had, so I was reading an Emily story. You had, we were invited to speak. Yes. Uh, where, where did you speak when and, and who was it to? And how do you feel like that helped you? Well, I did it for the uh, national coaches association, the NHLCA uh, coaching committee, the um, sorry, the 
was it the seminar symposium? <laughs> so it, she asked me to do a, a presentation. I was like, okay, sure. And we, we try to figure out what, what I should do it on. And I was like, we know a lot of guys do stuff on systems and everything, but we don't want to know about systems. So I thought, let me do something that's going to be a little bit closer to my heart, close to what I'm about. And I did one on developing players for a career in pro hockey. And it starts from the kids in minor hockey all the way to pro, about the development path they take, the, the misconceptions, you know, the, the commitment to, to their path, trusting in the process, trusting in the development. And uh, it was a lot of information. I went through a lot of stuff that we do in our league and stuff that we do in our team for our players to develop them. And uh, I got a lot of great feedback from that, from a lot of uh, coaches at higher levels. And I think it really made an impact. And I'm, and I'm happy I did it because it also challenged me, uh, you know, challenged my growth and, and allowed me to do something that I've never done before and allowed me to expand in my, my coaching. And from there, you know, things expanded and I was able to talk to many coaches and, and GMs at higher levels. So, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for that. And uh, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And uh, when it was all said and done, you know, I was, I was very thankful. I was very relieved. Went to sleep a couple of times at night, still dreaming like I was doing my presentation. Oh, what was that? Uh, but, uh, you know, because you try to, you want it to be perfect. You know, you want it to be perfect. You're, you think you're on a main stage or platform that everybody's watching so you want to be perfect and I'm you know I, I put a lot of my pressure on myself and I challenge myself to do that so it was fun it was exciting and uh you know I'm very thankful to have gone through it because it just made me a better person now Jason as I was preparing for this interview I was looking up a lot of your stats and you know as I'm, I'm reading the numbers and I'm looking where you're playing all these different leagues and I'm just like man this guy's like a grinder like he just you clearly must loved hockey like you had a tough job number one a tough role that not a lot of people like to do at the end of the day and, and you're not doing it at the NHL when you know when guys are you know getting paid big money to at least you know compensate for where where did that passion come? like what kept you driving because a lot of players you know they'll bounce around the minors for two three four five years maybe and then they're like okay you know what I'm going what kept you in it for so many years i guess it's the passion you know you love the i love the game and it became a lifestyle for me not you know you can't just like this game and i i always tell the young players this game if you want to play it is going to give you every opportunity to quit it's going to give you every opportunity to tell you hey pack up get out of here it's done you know you can have a bad game a bad year a bad whatever it is that's how you beat it but if you love the game and it's a lifestyle you find ways to push through it you find ways to motivate and, and fuel your hunger and you push through it. And again, you never know what's what what's the next step for you unless you push through the first hurdle, the first barrier. And there was there was one time I think I was traded three times in one year. And I was looking and I sat back and I was like, Am I what, what's going on right now? Like, what am I doing? Like, is this for me? Like, what, what's happening right now? And I went through that whole summer and I continued to train. And you know, when you surround yourself around people with the same like mindset, it becomes very easy. You, you very easily be distracted if there's people around you that don't think like you. But if there's people that think like you or have that like mindset of something that you want to achieve or the goals you want to achieve, it's very easy to stay on track and push forward. And, you know, I've had a lot of friends that have done that. And I've, you know, I made a lot of sacrifices. You know, I left home some summers. I went to go train in Boston with uh, Mr. Paul Vincent. You know, and there was other, other parts of the summer where, you know, Kevin, I, I would go to Kevin Weeks' house and him and I would just train. Like I'd get up in the morning, I'd go to his house. We'd, I'd go for a run but a 40 minute run, come back. We'd work out after that's done. I have some lunch. I then leave. I go to the track, go to my track coach at down to York university. And I'd run at the track for about two and a half hours running sprints. 
And then after that, I'd go get something to eat again. Then I would go on the ice again at seven o'clock at night or something like that for another two hours and skate. Yeah. And then guess what? Go home, eat, sleep, repeat. And, you know, and a lot of that I did not knowing where I was going to play the, the following season, but you had to be ready because you don't want the opportunity to come and you're not prepared for it. So, you know, it's just pushing yourself. And when you're seeing the results and you're seeing the goals and you're getting that taste of the next level, meeting people, skating on NHL ice or skating with American league teams, you get that hunger, you get that drive and don't let, you don't get distractions. Don't have distractions, anything distracting, anything that's a distraction to you, you got to get it out of your life and you got to stay focused. So focus and perseverance. And that's what I try to instill in a lot of my, my young players when I was coaching them and a lot of the players today. I love it. Uh, Jason, we always like to end our interviews with uh, rapid fire. Uh, some fun, short questions. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer every question. All right. So, All right here we go. Okay. So uh, here we go. Um, first one, very simple. Uh, what is uh, Justin's pain, whether it's relaxing uh, after a big win? What is your beverage of choice, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Non-alcoholic, usually. It'll be probably be either water, lemonade, or any kind of juice. I'm not really too much of a pop guy. Water, lemonade. Okay. Um, excluding Cincinnati, because I don't want you, you know, of all the minor league teams or leagues you played in, what was the best barn you played in? Oof. That's a good one. Uh, the Cincinnati Gardens was amazing. They, uh, and I really enjoyed it. I think that's one that really stood out for me. And another one that stood out for me was in the East Coast League in, uh, in Florida. Uh, the Florida Everblades. The fans, they were unbelievable. So, yeah, there was a couple of them, but like I said, I think Cincinnati stood out more because it was like an old Maple Leaf Gardens. Okay. Um, of all the teams you played on, uh, did, did you have any unique nicknames? Because I like fans, that they love guys who played your role. they ever have any unique nicknames that you had that didn't last? There's none that didn't last. Uh, actually, a greater, I should another, another great arena I played in in Flint, Flint, Michigan. Uh, at that time, it was called the IMA. And they're amazing blue collar fans there. And the team is called the Flint Generals, and, the, and they used to call me Major Pain. Oh. Um, when, I was in the, when I was in the OHL uh, with London, we played the Ice House. Uh, that was off the 401 there where they, before they moved to Budweiser Gardens. And the fans there, called, they used to call that uh, Welcome to the Ice House of Pain. So, uh, you know, so there's, yeah, the House of Pain, Major Pain. Those are, you know, there's a couple of nicknames there. So now, do, do your players, is it Coach Pain? If they call you Major Pain, is that all right? Oh, and they can call me that all they want. Painter, house, whatever they want to call me. So just don't call me late. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Well, um, when you were sprinting and you're doing all that sprint training, what was your fastest 100 meter? Oof. I don't, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you because by the time we were done, I just wanted to go run down and lay down because my legs were burning. So <laughs> I know when I was when I was playing football, I was running, uh, I ran my 40 and uh, four Seven was my fastest. What position did you play in football? Everything. In high school, I played everything. I was a linebacker. I was running back, tailback. I did long snap. I did punt, whatever whatever was required. But my main position, I guess you want to put, were running back and linebacker. So why hockey over football? It's a sport, a Canadian sport, and I, I, I loved it. It's a, I just fell in love with it. And, again, when you surround yourself around friends that are in that sport, like I said, like, Frank, you know, Kevin, with Kevin – he, he was a star from when he was a young kid and, you know, just being beside him the whole time, you just love it. And I'll be honest with you, between you and I, I love the equipment. <laughs> okay. I like that. Now, it, you mentioned how you want to get in the gym with your guys, if they're working out. So let's say all of a sudden uh, you're going to go to the track and if you get to pick 
what race distance are you most comfortable in that you could fare the best against your players? Anything short, hundred meter. Let's go. Hundred meter. So you're you're not you're not a distance guy. Could you could you could you run a fifth? Like I'm sure you could, but how comfortable could you run a fifteen hundred meter? I don't know. I'll ask my legs when I'm done. <laughs> That's a spicy one, boys. I hope I can do those yeah. those fifteens already. Right. Just gotta pace yourself. My I have a better. I have a, I have a better chance getting pregnant than running a fifteen hundred. So. <laughs> <laughs> and since you're a track guy, were you a field guy? And if so, what did you do? Uh, if anything, it was more like long jump or shot put. Well, those were the sports I would do for that. So, but uh, other than that, I mean, those are the things you do in high school, right? So. I was more busy, like with the track, it was more about preparing yourself for either for football or for hockey. So that's where all the running came in. So now in your spare time, what does uh, major pain like to do? A lot, uh, you know, music. I like listening to music. It's great. But, you know, a lot of my fascination besides sports, you know, football, hockey and baseball. I'm a sports guy. Other than that, one of my other passions are motorcycles. Oh, like Harleys or, or crotch rockets? Crotch rockets, crotch rockets. Uh, I've had, I've had quite a few in my, uh, quite a few in my day. I still have one, but I don't, I don't think I've been on it in the last three to four years. Now, why is that? You know what, honestly, with, with where I see myself trying to go and I know with all the stuff going on in the roads out there today, I don't want to put myself at risk. I don't want to put my family at risk and I don't, I don't okay. want to jeopardize all the work that I put in for all this time, just because I want to go for a quick 20 minutes of pleasure. And then somebody decides that they're going to do something wrong on the road. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a different ball game. So, I mean, I still have my bike. I love it to death. It's at home. I'll, I'll, I'll wipe it down every day. I'll look at it. Great. Awesome. All right. Good night. And I'll walk away. It's <laughs> <laughs> a shiny awesome. toy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jason. We really appreciate it. And uh, continued success. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. And keep up the great work, guys. I love it. Yeah, Jason, we're looking forward to watching you climb. And I have a feeling we'll be seeing you at the next level real soon. I really appreciate it, guys. I'm going to work hard for it. Jason Payne, Frank, good guess, man. Great get. Awesome guy. Uh, really looking forward to seeing him climb through the ranks. You can tell when you love it that much that you're going to go through whatever it is, 12, 14 different leagues and however many teams and then start at the very bottom as a skills coach or as a skating coach in junior hockey that's below major junior and continue to work your way up he's not going to stop at anything. He's not going to be told no. And uh, those are the types of guys you want to have around and, and you can learn from, you can hear it in his voice, the commitment, the passion. And the best part is, is all genuine. There's no fluff. He's li he's literally lived uh, what all these guys are going through. And so I think he gets it and man, you could see it and feel it. I was getting excited just listening to oh. it. Dude, when he was talking his, I think it was his last answer before Rapid Farm, he's like, geez, give me some skates or let's go play. This guy's fired right up. Like he, yeah. you can tell he's going to be a player coach, a motivating coach, which is, which is such a major part of coaching nowadays more than anything else. So uh, I really look forward to seeing uh, where he's going. And, and, uh, and one, coming thing up, uh, too, one thing yeah. too, I wanted to point out, and I thought it was a great lesson for everyone else listening, his preparation for that speech with the NHL Coaches Association and what he put into it, uh, losing sleep, you know, making sure his topic was on point. Why talk about systems when these guys do this for a living every day? Find another way to break through 
um, you you just never know. You never know who's listening. You never know who's watching and you never know what opportunity or door that might open. So I think it's, you know, always try your best to impress. And I think that's something to take away for every single person listening, hockey fan or not. Uh, Jason Payne, that's what a great message. Oh, it's true. You know, and another guy who did that was Rocky Thompson at the draft. They always have that big uh, annual uh, coaches clinic. And this one, is, I think it's a similar one. Usually it's held before the draft. And he got, he asked to speak and he did. And he did a present. Now, people that remember Rocky Thompson, he had the long hair. He, you know, kind of thought he was a one of the scariest one. dudes ever. And he came in and his power play presentation, like I remember talking to other coaches, Todd McClellan at the time, and they were just like, oh my God. And he got hired virtually right on the spot. Warren Reichel and Bob Bugner came out of that meeting. They were looking for a coach. They hired him for the, with the Windsor Spitfires, like literally a month later. You never know. Yeah, you never know. So always be prepared. You get one chance and you know, good for Jason. You know, doesn't mean doesn't mean you don't get hired first right away, but people remember that guy in that presentation. Now, if he has success, they'll be like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. So uh, definitely look forward to that. It was awesome. Uh, coming up later this week on uh, episode 61, Mike Rupp's going to join us to uh, talk about his NHL career. Also, uh, his role <laughs> with uh, the big story, Frank, that you had uh, uh, last Friday. This time we're going to have uh, Mike Rupp, the player, talk about his NHL, his Stanley Cup uh, but also his time associated with the the hot new uh, documentary, Crime and Penalties. Uh, we'll talk of that as well. A lot of his friends didn't even know about it. So I talked to Rupert. I forgot he played there. When yeah. you mentioned we were going to have him on, I was like, okay, why? Like, not to say, like, why wouldn't you have Mike Rupp on? But then you said he played in Danbury, and then I actually got a chance to watch the doc. Awesome. Oh, dude, the stories that he has that didn't make the doc are awesome. Like, some really funny stuff. So look forward to that on Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.